0: And boom, we're back for another episode of AlphaCast. I'm Mike Winner, and I'm here as always with Dr. Bear Paul Lando. Today we have a really fun show for you guys, and it's uh, needed more than ever, really, uh, in these times of peril due to good old Cerveza virus. Uh, Today we're talking about the anatomy of emotion and um, what that means in terms of how we outpicture our reality. Uh, Most people are in emotional overdrive these days with current events, so we thought we'd dissect these things. We call feelings and look a bit deeper. We'll draw on everything from ancient Sufi systems of psychoanalysis to biological instincts with some Tesla-level science thrown in for good measure. Uh, It's time for the psychology community to get up to speed so So humanity can get out of drama and do what we really need to do. You'll never think of emotions the same after today's show, hopefully, so... Bear Lando, I'll let you uh, how you doing today, first of all, and uh, how are your emotions going?
1: Good, Michael. Doing good. Everything's great up here. And, um, you know, we're talking about the weather a little bit because we have a weather front and it's extended. We're getting some late rain in the year. It's affecting our planting and everything, but we're still welcoming it since. Governor Grusom is already planning our next forest fires in California. <laughs> so um, would it surprise anybody to know that uh, emotions are responsible for the weather? In fact, weather is actually a product of the collective emotions of humanity. And that's a fact. So wow. let's make some other bold statements right off the start here. <laughs> just coming Let's well, just jump down that rabbit hole already anyway. <laughs> Um, You know, we are the only creative, self-individualized forces uh, in this realm of experience. This is our playground. We are responsible for everything happening here. And uh, emotions do manifest as the weather. And for the folks that say, well, what about geoengineering? Well, imagine, you know, we have a group of uh, sociopaths that actually want to control us by weather. Well, there's two things happening there. You have whatever the heck's going on in their psyche, and then the rest of us that just put up with it or are in complete denial of it. And so it's all a product of our emotion, and it goes up and down the chain. It's the same old thing. Uh, You know, this uh, emotions, uh, the topic might throw people because, well, okay, that's really touchy-feely and cool, and, you know, you get a few people watching that might be interested in that sort of thing. But we're talking about a topic that is the most important subject matter we could possibly discuss. We had a another PowerPoint we did a while back that was on contagions, which you know, understandably, seems very relevant compared to uh, relative to current events. But actually, emotions are actually more relevant. And in my clinic days, we knew and we were managing cases that um you know people were really in a serious situation if we didn't get the emotional dimension and i say dimension because there's only one substance that's uh y- you know basically manifests as uh, waveforms and trillions of waveform vectors that coalesce and create a complex that we cr- that then we call our body our physical body and uh those emotions uh are what give uh The electrical vectors, the power to manifest in our body or in our experience altogether. So, if we did not take care of that um, uh, dimension of a person's health, then you always had short lived success, if any success at all. And relative to current events, if we don't get this emotional component handled, uh, we're done because that's how we're being handled. That's how this whole farce is being orchestrated. And being used against us, so let's just jump right in. Uh, sure. Mike, any comments first?
0: I was just gonna say, it seems like in modern, the modern era, uh, the, the idea of emotions has kind of been swept aside uh, because we live in such a mental plane these days where everything is you know on Twitter and Facebook and where all these conversations are happening. One, the paradigm that we're in, it's hard to garner emotion from others on a platform like Twitter, unless someone's throwing it all caps, they're angry, or you can kind of get a a little bit of a sense. But as you said, about the weather, because we're all in this together, and everything's a matrix of energetics of informational fields, and our emotions provide that amplitude, right? Um, We are, once again, this schizophrenic species now, that has been kind of forced into these technocratic you know, conditions through the technology where our emotions are kind of been swept aside while they're the most important. So it leads to this very chaotic kind of um, confused populace that is just shouting at a wall, really, uh, you know, demanding like little kids, uh, their voice to be heard, um, where we are all kind of just lost in that sense because we don't have that traditional communal face-to-face, you know, in-person connection where we can then vibe off each other's emotions and have a a better understanding where what others' perspectives are, where they're coming from in that moment because emotions change from moment to moment. I'm sure we're going to go over all this as, you know, as a father with kids, I see it in an instant from, especially with kids, from extreme happiness to extreme anger in a flash. And when you can kind of ride those waves of emotion uh, and connect with others, as you said, like in terms of the weather, I feel like we have a better grasp on our humanity and a better kind of um, grasp on reality. So it's really tough. I feel like emotions are, as you said, you know, many people probably roll their eyes and go, okay, good feeling kind of podcast today. But um, there's a whole science behind it. There's a whole importance that we need. To, we really need to understand, so that we can move forward in a way that will allow us to to reempower ourselves as consciousness, as this as this embodiment of the reality that is around us, and so that we can control it better, and that we can formulate it into really what we want to see moving forward. So, Bear, I hope that kind of. That's kind of where I'm coming from today, and I'm really excited to see what you got for us.
1: Yeah, very well said Mike. And would it be surprising to any of us that what we learn about emotions uh, in school, whether we're studying psychology, or otherwise that it's been completely inverted? We are taught that emotions are a product of life events. You know, I had a fight with my girlfriend this morning, so, I'm angry or sad, Um, you know, I had a financial disaster, so I'm depressed. Uh, No, actually, it's the other way around. Those events are precipitated by our emotions. Emotions are not a product of events. And that's what Mm -hmm. really throws us as uh, psychologists and practitioners. We're always trying to get into story, not realizing that emotions create story, not the other way around.
0: It's kind of like uh, the allopaths with looking at symptoms and then applying a pharmaceutical same concept, right? It's looking at the after effect and then applying that. uh, And it's like in the inversion principle we always talk about, whereas, and this can relate to the abundance, like the podcast we had about generating your own wealth. Your wealth doesn't create your happiness. Your happiness creates your wealth.
1: Absolutely. So uh, what I'm going to outline here today, and I want to move quickly through these slides because each one of them, we could talk for hours or subjects of entire textbooks. We can expand on them in the future and have plenty to talk about if people are interested. So um, what we'll do is just highlight certain things. And what I put together is a sequence of slides that is actually what I use clinically in practice when I'm managing uh, bioterrain medicine uh, protocols. And emotions, again, are the largest component. It's uh, when you isolate those, what we call emotional uh, dimensions, it absolutely provides the catalyst for all the other bioterrain medicine to do its work. Because that's what will give the velocity for things to change, just like emotions give the velocity for our thoughts to manifest in this universe and create our reality in the first place. So what I would ask for people is we're going to move through a lot of subject matter quickly. Don't get overly mental or, or try to understand everything at first glance. Some of you will just get this intuitively right away. And uh, but the main thing is, is we're planting seeds, we're putting some concepts out, and this does represent real clinical protocols that we um, that are part of the entire um, uh, uh, clinical system that I used. That included managing microbiology, uh, you know, the organ systems, and and was very multidisciplinary. In uh, in its approach and very successful. So let's start with uh, a little share uh, screen here. So the first one, the internal weather. Uh, you know what I really hope to just put forth in this whole presentation. If anybody takes anything away from this at all, it's this we take feelings, we take emotions way too personally. And if we understood them for what they really are as real electrical forces, one dimension of our entire um, experience, then we would be able to deal with them uh, much more successfully and uh, not get so attached to them so let's just make some bold statements right off the start here and we'll just breeze through these mike uh if you or anybody in the audience has any questions just stop me okay so first off uh mind produces thought that's pretty basic i don't think anybody could argue with that and we do live in a mind created electric wave universe so therefore if mind produces thought then obviously everything we experience is a product of that thought and we talk about that all the time now thought becomes an electrical event it polarizes into electricity that creates the vibrations that then we experience in a three-dimensional intensity to give us this experience Uh, motion is what we get when the two polarities are bouncing off each other and the polarities in reality are just seeking balance That's why sodium seeks chloride. It's uh, two out-of-balance elements. And when they find each other, they mate and they create a balance. Uh, Just like a man and a woman come together. It's two different polarities. They create a balance. Emotion is when you have uh, the velocity, that passion. If you have an idea, for instance... Even on the more the mundane plane here in our conscious life, we, you know, we want to achieve something or excel in sports. You know, then we uh, don't just sit around and think about it. We uh, develop a bit of a passion about it and uh and you know put some effort behind it and then that creates the velocity so that that uh those energies those electrical vectors are put into motion and they manifest otherwise you're not going to have manifestation we can think and grow rich all we want but we're not going to grow rich until our thinking is fueled by emotion and emotions can be of all types uh toxic emotions will also create the intensity for manifestation which accounts for why the world looks so stupid right now now emotion and i just kind of do a little play on the spelling here which is uh e hyphen motion uh it's just energy in motion when things are moving just like in the physical body Well, when the lymphatics are moving, when the organs are moving, uh, you know, you don't have problems until you have a stasis, when things reach a standstill or stagnate. And uh, uh, the next uh, little statement here, emotion, uh, when you take the hyphen out, that's what we call not just energy in motion, but those are stagnated emotions, uh, which account for what we think of as our lower toxic emotions and attachments to create all our problems and manifest the things we actually don't want. And it's interesting that our, our governmental systems, our religious uh, systems, all teach us uh, that we are somehow uh, inherently bad or that we Uh, We'll do bad things to each other if we don't have a lot of rules or people with guns to enforce those rules. And so from, uh, you know, early on in life, we are taught that we need to be controlled. And everybody, I think, appreciates what happens when you try to suppress or control motion. You have a lot of frustration and things just get worse. So emotion is when that normal Motion seeking balance stops, you have an inertia, you have a stagnation, just like in a body, you know, it can become a swamp and have um, or uh, microorganism, pleomorphism, uh, you know, overstay its welcome in certain cycles that then become imbalances in microbial populations and create problems that we then call disease. Uh, So that is uh, emotion, is stagnation, and it's imbalance. And as we already suggested, emotion creates story, not the other way around. Story does not create emotion. Now, I can imagine the comments we're going to get on this right away. We're going to say, okay, I was raped or I was abused or some such thing. And how can that, that not make me feel bad or account for my problems? Well, we're not at all saying that we. Uh, do uh, need to have a lack of empathy for that sort of occurrence and that we have to account and deal with that sort of situation. But emotion is a product of electrical forces that happen long before we uh, embody this time around in the first place. They're a product of many embodiments, uh, electrical forces that we have put into motion and those will in fact create all the circumstances in our life including a lot of the unfortunate ones that does not at all mean that we're um responsible or to blame but uh you know we need support from loved ones around us when bad things happen But we also need to understand how those forces create our circumstances so that we don't have to repeat them. So the most humanitarian thing you can do is to understand what emotion is, how we're all in the same boat. We bring in a a bunch of baggage with us every time we jump into a new body. And the same electrical vectors start happening all over again. And those electrical vectors Come with the intensity of the emotions that were in play at those times where we initiated them in the first place. So, and we also go ahead, Mike.
0: I was going to say so, in the typical inverted reality we live in, um, it, it appears that oftentimes um, the victimization protocols that we're so subjected to, the emotions, once again, are an afterthought and are an effect from the trauma as opposed to understanding that this emotion idea is actually generated the trauma to begin with and it's this is empowering information because it puts us in the driver's seat of our own reality and we're not just this lost buoy in the ocean of waves but we're actually the surfers riding the waves and if we can control these you know these energetics in a way um I feel like then in just taking that horrendous idea of being a rape victim um, and this is triggering to many, especially if somebody's had trauma like this, uh, I think sexual trauma is some of the most impactful stuff on, on humans' lives. Um, But um, I guess what you're kind of saying too, is that a lot of this out pictures in our reality because of our internal Energetics via this emotion is that correct?
1: Correct, and we'll never move forward out of these kinds of traumatic experiences until we understand how it works. Because as long as we have people that are victims, we will always always have predators. You're back in the world of polarities. You can't have one without the other. And a lot of people also say in some of our other talks we've had about. Cancer not being a disease, and then the inevitable comment, Well, my mom died of cancer. How can you say such a cruel thing? Well, my mom died of cancer allegedly, too. But when we understand more the mechanisms that were in play, then we can work with it, whether it's so called cancer, or whether it's COVID 19, or whether uh, you know it's uh, an emotional trauma from being abused. Then we can all not only support the individuals affected, but we can also not repeat the same thing, not only in that individual's life, but have them be an example for the rest of us. And, uh, you know, I've learned more from my clients than I ever did in school, because until I put things to practical use and then observe the results, it was all academic, So my greatest teachers were those courageous souls that said, you know, I'm not buying the company line. They told me I'm dead anyway. So what have I got to lose? So they jump in both feet uh, on the emotional level in order just to try different, for instance, treatment strategies and, uh, you know, follow it through. Some people are so afraid to stop the conventional treatments that even though they know it's killing them, they're more afraid of not doing it, even though they're gonna, they know they're going to die from that as well, and it's even going to be more miserable. So those courageous individuals to say, ah, you know, I'm going to try something different, even though they're staring death in the face as they think, uh, those are the folks that I owe my learning to because they walk their talk, and they gave me the visual experience that uh, made me think that there's something to all this.
0: Yeah, I, I and, and back on the victimization narrative storyline, you know, obviously right now we're seeing that pushed heavily in the mainstream. There seems to be an agenda there, and it's frightening, especially seeing this with millennials who have really been captured by this concept that they're all victims. And it's really disheartening because it just really takes away sovereignty. And I find this with family members and friends. And I'll, I'll, I try to, you know, in a very polite, um, easygoing manner, try to initiate some of these ideas of self-responsibility, self-actualization. And it's funny, some of these people are like into yoga and are vegans and are really like awake on some elements. But then they're just so into this victimization narrative. And um, it's really just toxic. And so I think this conversation today is really important and powerful. And if you're listening to this and you're being triggered right now, instead of turning off the podcast, maybe just give us a shot and listen a little longer and, and be open to these ideas because this stuff and this is another thing I want to talk about today is the programming idea that we've been literally programmed since the day we're brought into this reality due from the control matrix. So I think there's a lot of control apparatus that we have to disintegrate in order to master our emotion. Right? So there is an element of the mental here and understanding this. So I would love to dive into that as well there.
1: Yeah. Social engineering, of course, has made it very trendy to be a victim there's a great competition to see who's the greatest victim and um it really <laughs> uh you know it just polarizes people even more and then of course in order to be accepted in this trend we virtue signal about how sympathetic we are to victims or even try to suggest that uh you know, we're part of the victim class ourselves, uh, you know, in some way. And um, the the latest form of virtue signaling, of course, is wearing a mask. And if you're wearing a mask, well, that means you care about other people. So we won't jump into that. We've tackled that a lot with some really knowledgeable doctors that were guests on this uh, program that um, really helped us see through that charade. So let's move on to the next slide. And this is um, step one in clinical protocols. And there's ways, ways to do this with a waveform analysis, it can actually be done with labs or instruments. Where we analyze the XYZ access of waveforms coming out of people's bodies and in, in their blood. And um it uh there's different levels of this. Uh so let's just do a summary first, then we'll go into the very first uh uh component. So emotional patterning. Uh you know psychoanalysis like medicine has become a very linear labeling kind of process to diagnose what you have. And then when you get that label, then that's supposed to make us feel better because we know what we have. And then we take a drug for it and uh, and then we just live with it. So What we have to do is take a few steps back to when science was real science. In fact, um, it used to be called alchemy. Alchemy was a three-dimensional science. So to look at psychoanalysis, we want to look at it in a three-dimensional psycho-spiritual perspective, through that perspective. And when you go into old-school alchemy, as you can see here in the first line, their symbols were the square and the circle. And we won't get into the symbolism and everything. And it wasn't just an occult mysticism. These people actually were very advanced and understanding teachings that had been on the planet forever. And they were putting these teachings to a practical application to do many things, including medicine. Now, a gentleman by the name of Walter Russell came along, and he uh, explained the square and the circle, the original alchemical symbols, he explained them in a mechanical way as the cube and the sphere. Now, the cube is the sacred geometry that is responsible for all creation because that's what incubates or gives form to the waves that emanate from our thoughts in uh, electrical vectors. Were you about to say something, Mike? Uh, No, no. Go ahead. Okay. This is fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, the cube and the sphere, uh, you you know, if you imagine a cube, it has six, imagine you're standing inside a cube. It has uh, six surfaces and then if you uh, bounce some beams through the cube it's going to bounce off those inner surfaces and actually create a sphere and that is how electrical vectors work and the cube in the sphere furthermore can be explained as the yin and yang that we understand through chinese medicine and uh, so now we have uh, alchemy in a three-dimensional sort of explanation and then, as we individualize in consciousness, uh, we have the ability to play within that cube and shape those electrical vectors to take on characteristics that will then outpicture in a three dimensional way in our reality. So, now imagine you're standing in that cube again, that creates an XYZ axis. And in uh, Tesla talked about it greatly. Walter Russell talked about it. In the ancient scriptures, they talked about the law of the three times three. And we always have this magical number nine, which we're going to talk about in a few slides down the road. But the three times three represents the six uh, um, planes of the cube, And your consciousness in a three-dimensional thought form production standing in the middle of the cube, which creates three more, that creates a nine, and it satisfies the law of the three times three. And if you really get into the physics of this, it's not woo-woo at all. You'll understand more about physics than you could ever imagine. And you can also apply those principles to technology and medicine and engineering and things will work, they will self-renew, and you won't have all the problems inherent in in uh, our technology and medicine today. So the first, uh, the next one down there, these are the areas we're going to go over very quickly. The seven rays. Now, um, in Walter Russell work, he showed how the elemental periodic, uh, the periodic table of elements, each element. Uh, occupied a certain octave and each octave or, or level if you could call it that uh, is represented by seven tonal fields just like the musical scale seven notes we have uh, five sharp notes but the seven keynotes uh, it's it's the tonal fields and they also represent colors those are the um, elements that those tonal fields are what we play with and nuance in unlimited ways to give us again all the characteristics of our experience so there is a way right off the bat that we have to acknowledge how we as individuals have a unique way of qualifying these seven tonal fields to create an experience that is different and gives us a different experience from anybody else in the universe uh, the next thing we 're going to talk about is character fixations, which are core reaction patterns that are the baggage that we bring into this lifetime and give us a tendency to react to life events the way we do and there 's an ancient Sufi system called the Enneagram that we used in clinical medicine to help us understand that then uh, beyond that, there are acquired Stress patterns, we'll call them, uh, you know, representing emotional vectors that are conditioned through a lifetime of experience, uh, especially through our um, early programming. And also, there are collective stress patternings in the world of homeopathy, we call that miasm. And then finally, we're going to get into solutions. And the biggest solution we have to getting out of this emotional quagmire where we keep repeating history is our biology itself is um, programmed to express that through our body to let off pressure so that we can get off the wheel. So even our biology is unique in the mammalian world to give us uh, the chance to rise above basic animal instincts into a rational mode of behavior. So those are the areas that we go through sequentially in our bioterrain protocols. So let's start with the first one. That, the seven this, rays. This,
0: and- I was going to say, okay, you're going to go through each. Cause I was like this slide alone. And for those listening on the podcast, um, you can find this on uh, YouTube or uh, we're doing this on D live right now. So you can join us live every Thursday at 10 AM Pacific standard time on our D live. Uh, but we'll have these slides on our website and the blog. And um, so you can review these, but I was going to say, bear, that slide alone is 15 podcasts. We actually did a podcast. Um, we did a podcast with uh, um, on the Enneagram mono. with Mono Pritchard, yeah, uh, which is really an amazing listen. I it was one of our first guest podcasts. I highly recommend it. We did it last fall, uh, so if you guys, uh, uh, I highly recommend going back and listening to that. So, anyhow, um, yeah. man, I have a quick question about yeah, the- Mono. Uh, okay, go, go ahead. ahead.
1: You go. No, ahead. you go. <laughs> I was just going to say, Mono did a a great job. You know, it's just an informal chat, but uh, she's a practitioner of the Enneagram from Switzerland, and she's one of the best practitioners in the world. And she has uh, just a very relaxed, laid back demeanor. And uh, maybe after this podcast, people can go back and glean a little bit more about what she was talking about, because she goes very, very deep into it. We didn't get into the mechanics so much of it. You know, I kind of hit on the fringe a bit. But yeah, go back and listen to that one. Your turn. Okay. Yeah. Um,
0: I learned so much in that one. And it's uh, something I need to revisit, too, for sure. Uh, but on that first aspect of that slide, you talk about the, uh, the initiation of the electrical force or, you know, the embodiment, the yin and the yang, uh, the circle and the square, the sphere and the cube. So can we imagine that as the cube and then the circle within the cube? Is that correct? Or are they separate? Yes. Okay. You can't
1: have a sphere unless you have a cube. It's the yin and the yang. You can't have one without the other.
0: Hmm. Okay um and that i know uh that connects to so much walter russell into uh sacred geometry and they're all kind of the the mathematical language of the universe i guess
1: and it's exactly uh what we talk about in the hermetic philosophy with alchemy now we're just bringing it three-dimensional and as walter russell said when we do that then we are clearly in the age of transmutation and what's happening right now on the planet is there are people trying to prevent us to move on to that level because it will be impossible for certain people to control other people at that point
0: yeah that's really cool okay continue on sir
1: all righty <laughs> So the seven rays, this will, of course, seem pretty esoteric to most people. But when you do get into the physics of it, it's exactly what Walter Russell's talking about. Tesla knew exactly you know, what Walter was up to. They used to communicate about these issues. And it's what, uh, going back in time, uh, the hermetic philosophy, the, all the traditions of all time, Chinese medicine, They understood these seven tonal fields as being the creative forces that characterize every thought that we have and are given birth to by emotion. So uh, I have a process that I learned to do a seven ray chart on an individual when they came in. Now, if you go back in the day when we had the real Dalai Lama, And that's another story, but I'll just leave that hanging. Um, They picked the Dalai Lama at birth by doing an astrological ray chart. Astrology, as it's done today, that is separate from ray analysis, is half the story. It's like what we do in the scientific community today with reductionism. Now uh, there are a lot of brilliant astrologers out there that go very deep, so I'm not just uh, broad brushing all of them as you know linear and and not deep thinkers. But unless you are integrating seven ray uh, analysis, in other words, doing seven ray astrology, you're not doing real astrology. So back when they were to say pick. Uh, You know, a person is supposed to be a healer in life and he's going to learn medicine or even, uh, you know, the next Dalai Lama. They did a seven ray analysis. And what they found is that uh, there are five spheres. Uh, One we can call the transpersonal, which is more our higher electronic body, our higher self, whatever terminology you want to call it, doesn't matter. Uh, Then you have the lower sphere, which is our personality. And the personality is further qualified with three spheres we'll call mind, uh, the emotional, astral, and the physical. Now, when we do a ray analysis, we are able to determine which ray occupies each of those five spheres. And you could look at those seven rays and you could see we have them listed down below. I'm not gonna go through the model, take way too long. But they represent not just seven tonal fields, but then holographically outpicture as seven archetypes. And I'm sure everybody's familiar with all the uh, systems we have that end up being in groups of seven, uh, including our music, which should tell you everything you need to know. Now, each tonal field or archetype has its strengths, Uh, you know, inherent strengths that it will uh, lend to our whole experience. And in the world of seven rays, we call them glamours, uh, which would maybe be your challenges. So again, you have a polarity within each tonal field and how we at the soul level are given these uh, seven rays one of the seven rays qualifying each of the five spheres will give us not only a very unique perspective but also a somewhat predictable mode of behavior and at the level of the soul as we embody our challenge is to manifest the strengths versus the glamours So if you don't understand, let's just say I'm doing psychoanalysis, I'm a psychologist or a psychiatrist, if I'm not appreciating who that soul is on that level and what energies are working, we can talk story all day long and the only thing probably that's going to happen is that you're going to put them further in the story rather than into solution. So that's the seven rays. It's a huge topic. And, you know, the little quote I have this is a paraphrasing quote, it's not exact, but the human entity is the septenary ray from the one, which goes us, uh, brings us right back to Walter Russell, who understood and demonstrated there's only one substance, one intelligence or consciousness in the universe. And then these tonal fields will qualify, uh, be the qualifying um, uh, actions. Uh, as that consciousness produces thought that is, uh, you know, pops into experience with the uh, emotional velocity. And then these seven rays are then used as the paintbrushes to give it all the nuances that we experience. How are we doing, Mike?
0: We're doing great. Uh, Lively chat. And this slide
1: is uh, a podcast unto itself oh yeah um let me uh well we'll go to the next one
0: i could uh go on 16 tangents here but i know we got a lot to get through so i think we will uh keep the seven rays for another podcast also this relates to um my studies with the ascended masters teachings they talk about rays a lot uh your twin ray for example too and finding your uh kind of like your uh, soulmate um, that through the life cycles of incarnations. And uh, it's, it's a very, very important topic and something I would love to expand upon on a future podcast.
1: So as consciousness has an idea for an individual embodiment like myself or you or anybody, that's an idea that gives birth To an individualization of the creator and because an embodiment is uh, a so-called physical event it has to be a product of electrical vectors so doesn't it make sense that when that original idea of each one of us um individuates that there are two polarities and that other polarity is the opposite of you and so we all have that so-called twin ray that's wandering the universe somewhere and at the end of the journey you do reunite with that twin ray and become complete and balanced once again Uh, soulmate is a little bit more of a romanticized uh, you know explanation
0: and this relates to the principle the universal law of gender too right because typically um, this is the opposite gender reflection as well. And so classically, your twin ray, would, if I was in the male form, would be a female, correct?
1: Yes. And we take turns through embodiments uh, with different genders. And boy, this is a real charged uh, kind of issue, but there will be overlays from prior emb- embodiments and so forth if that energetic was not brought into balance, and even though we might be wearing a male or a female spacesuit, uh, if we do not at least try to bring a certain amount of balance into our being, regardless of the gender we express, then those um, gender imbalances can create confusion in succeeding lifetimes.
0: And I feel like these waters are muddied even more because of the nature of our society and the uh, controller 's deceptions and inversion of reality where they play with gender and so while there may be some um, really honest like you were just saying, where there isn 't some balances, and we have some gender you know uh, unbalance in the polarity there in terms of how people relate them their current gender, you know uh, we also have the very um uh i mean i don't know how i can call it <laughs> you know what i'm getting at here this relates to our recent discussion about good old billy, billy. gates being uh, potentially a, a female that was inverted into a man and it seems like the controlling class likes to really mess with this for some reason as they're they love to invert and play with nature
1: Yeah, because when we achieve balance, we achieve our full power. And please, folks, don't read anything into this other than we all have created imbalances. And if there is any gender um, ambiguity, we'll say it's not because we're bad or we did something wrong. It just means that societally instead of understanding that that is a very potent force that sexual polarity in fact we live in a sexual universe you cannot manifest anything unless you have the yin and the yang mating two electrical uh vectors uh mating and creating the reality that we experience and our bodies are no exception so uh rather than cultivating Um, A programming that keeps us in confusion about our very nature, Uh, we should be uh, coming into a place of knowledge so that we can seek that balance for our own individual journey as well as uh, a better culture as a whole. And of course, we've made it into an issue of division. We've created victim classes and all manner of things that are only making things worse and uh, understandably in past times there were periods where people were persecuted for exhibiting imbalances and we all have our imbalances and you know that is absolutely wrong so you know the the programming plays on those unfortunate instances to create new victim classes but perpetuates the imbalances and our disempowerment and that's what we're trying to say and i'm sure i'll get a lot of hateful comments just for saying that but hey we're just talking electricity i've got no skin in the game none of us should have any skin in the game we should just all want to know the truth so that we can love each other and create a better world amen to that
0: okay let's continue on with the slides Next slide. <laughs>
1: We better get out of there before we get into more trouble, right? <laughs> oh
0: man, but that is a great I point. It's like it's all about empowerment, and when you understand, if we had a truly, if we had a a, a society and a culture that actually cared and wasn't controlled by psychopaths, um, we would have, uh, you know, this all nipped in the bud. Where we would have. Uh, a caring kind of aspect towards those imbalances versus uh, the victimization that is uh, used to create the polarities, the dissension, the the hate, and the uh, confusion.
1: And we also live at a time where I don't know about you, but I don't know of one person in my circles that really cares what anybody does in the privacy of their own home i mean people just don't care anymore which is a good sign that we have reached a a level of maturity and um but you know they you know it's like the the guy in the schoolyard that was always trying to provoke fights between two people by pushing one into the other you know you have these people out there doing this stuff so okay so character fixations this is a product of uh Uh, This is what we talk about when we discuss the Enneagram. So after a seven-ray analysis, it's very helpful if you're a practitioner of any kind, whether it's a biological medicine or, uh, or if you're more into pure psychoanalysis, you want to understand that we all, again, bring baggage into this lifetime, which are a composite of the electrical vectors that we have thrown out of balance in the past. Now, in a waveform analysis, you will look at spheres in an XYZ axis, and you can determine the distortions, um, the, uh, the, the direction of the distortions, if it's going kind of southeast to west and, or, or any version, uh, then it's going to tell you what these uh, vectors are doing as far as creating tendencies on the emotional level. So let's go to the chart and this will bring us even though this is the sufi and the alchemical understanding this goes right into walter russell waveform mechanics so you start with singularity which is just stillness there's nothing the creator is pure consciousness and by the way we're all an individuation of the creator so we're not it all suggesting that we're separate somehow there's no separation we are part of the one so when that stillness has an idea it creates an electrical vector that then polarizes. So let's so, go to the triangle. so you mean so you mean go we ahead. already
0: have singularity that the, the uh, transhumanists hijack that term because they're once again trying to invert reality and like push that we can yeah. get singularity with robots or AI which hey we already have singularity.
1: Yeah. And, you know, when we talk about sacred geometry, in our our slide, you know, before we're talking about cubes and spheres, rather than thinking that sacred geometry is, uh, you know, little cubes, um, you know, circulating in outer space somewhere as entities of their own, hopefully this will maybe help explain what we're talking about with geometry. So look at the triangle. And there's a reason why the triangle has always been considered sacred and why it's the initiation of the three times three. So you notice up above you have the nine. The nine you can think of as a fulcrum. It's it's where the pendulum is anchored. So you have an idea. That's number nine. That's the original electrical vector. Now that polarizes into the six and the three. Now, the six and the three, think of it as a pendulum going back and forth. It's an electrical vector, and these two sides to the triangle, the six and the three, are seeking balance with each other. And it's our job as sentient beings to create a balance between the two sides and not have it lopsided, which is going to create one of those distortions that we're talking about that creates a little rub on the wagon wheel and it's going to make us react every time we go around a certain bend. So, the triangle now represents the polarization of electrical forces. Are you with me? Yep. Now, the next uh, thing we have is the hexad. So, we have six. Now, this gets a little bit more complex, but all we're talking about is the predictable pathway of electrical vectors that are produced by the original triangle and when you understand the waveform mechanics you're going to have a pathway that is going to create the next six which we could uh you know with a further discussion maybe relate to a cube mm-hmm. with the original idea with the three and that would take us back to the cube and the sphere now remember with walter russell in our past talks we um discussed how every waveform has 18 dimensions which is just two times nine and uh representing the polarities of each of those dimensions now In the Enneagram, we have a nine-pointed star. So if you take the triangle here, put it in the middle of the hexag, uh, or the the hexad, then you're going to have a nine-pointed star. You're going to have a point here, here, and and one up here. And the nine-pointed star, which you'll see in the next slide, is the Enneagram. And if you take vortex mathematics, if anybody's ever seen a couple of YouTubes on that, you should at least watch the basics. It will show you exactly mathematically how the nine-pointed star is created and how the Sufis back then and even predating them, they knew about these electrical waveforms, their predictable energetic pathways, and then they isolated the points, uh, the nine points and related them to parts of the body, just like we do in medicine. If I do a waveform analysis with say a dual Pedance antenna, it's gonna tell me the distortions and I can do a similar lab analysis. It creates chemistry to tell me about those same electrical vectors that then we can coincide with the waveform analysis. And that will tell us Um, on the level of chemistry, on the level of emotion, on every dimension of that person's being, what's going on. And that's where that old saying, as above, so below comes in. Because if you understand one dimension, you'll understand the holographic representation of every other dimension, whether we're looking through a microscope, a telescope, Uh, Looking at a person's uh, musculoskeletal system, their biochemistry, their microbiology. It's all going to be holographically represented as a dimension of the same electrical forces. And they all have to represent the same electrical forces because that old saying, in the end, there can be only one. So uh, character fixation, bottom line here the greatest pressure point seeking balance. So let's look a little deeper into the Enneagram. I have an example. Uh, There are nine fixation points. Now this is going to be highly simplified. We're not going to get into it hardly at all, but just take away the gist of it. Uh, We're going to look at fixation point number one and you notice on these slides i actually created these little diagrams for our website at one time maybe they'll and i have uh you know a whole bunch of slides like this for each fixation point with explanations uh someday we'll put those back up maybe in our member and, section and and so, we, we
0: related that to floral essences, right and the using of flowers uh, uh, and their informational fields to adjust these frequencies?
1: Yeah, we're going to get into floral essences. uh, The last slide in the discussion uh, is one of many solutions. And what I do clinically is based on all these things we're talking about, I make topical creams with essential oils and floral essence and other uh, homeopathic bases that drive these more effectively, uh, the informational fields more effectively into the body. Sometimes we have to put them on neurological zones and, and other things that make them more effective and get those informational fields uh, you know, where we need them no different than if you put some software into a computer. So um, here we are, the Enneagram, fixation point number one example. So look at number one here, you know, I have that kind of highlighted in a darker color there. So here, uh, the nine points, this is what we're talking about. Now we have the triangle superimposed into the uh, hexad, and we have the nine pointed star. Now you can differentiate the three areas of the Enneagram into body, head, and heart. Now, on an emotional level, if you happen to have a distortion that creates, uh, you know, an effect up here in the 198, and it affects the body, you're going to have, let's say, anger issues, okay? And uh, down here, head, which is more pertaining to people that are more mental by nature, uh, you're going to have a tendency to go more into fear. Now, all of us have experienced all these emotions and there's a reason why we don't just experience you know, uh, the main fixation we have on the Enneagram because we have a lot of condition programming and things that you have to account. And clinically, you also have to sequentially know when to go into any one levels uh, of either Enneagram or seven-ray analysis or um, or, uh, stress patterning that we're going to talk about next. And that's the art of clinical medicine is you have to have a system that does things in proper sequence. Cause when you're doing emotional deconstruction, we'll say if you take things out of sequence, just like when you do the same thing with biology, uh, and that's what we do a lot in conventional medicine, you unearth things that, uh, you know, it's really better to let sleeping dogs lie. And so just like when you're in the trades, you know, you need to do things in proper order. You need to do that, especially with emotional deconstruction, because you can create a lot more problems and even create more physical problems if you don't handle the emotions right. So uh, the head is the fear, the heart. We get more into the tendency of shame and that sort of thing, you know, the uh, you know I'm a recovering Catholic, so um, <laughs> you know we have a kind of a patent on on shame with original sin and it, sin and all that business. Uh, so instinctive anger uh, is uh, you know these we, we would call the instincts, and anger is the instinct of one in our example. And now, when you look at the wings over here, remember each Of these points one through nine when you study them, you're gonna find they are qualified in different ways different tendencies and then each of those tendencies can be further qualified in a myriad of ways So just keep in mind. This is very simplified what we're doing here But let's just say you're a one on the Enneagram and again, there's ways that you can Get into it a bit Um, you're gonna have the one on either side, we call the wings, and this is gonna create a pendulum effect, just like we talked about in the triangle, but in this case, your pendulum is one side versus the other, and so you're gonna have the tendencies of the one, and you're also gonna take on some tendencies of the nine when you swing in that direction, uh, You know, based on how you react to life events, of the number two when you swing into that direction, and then the next thing moving on very quickly, when we get to the hexad we were talking about earlier, where energy flows in very predictable. Pa- depending on what fixation point you are, when you're in stress, you'll tend to move towards one particular number, which in the case of the one will be towards a four. And this is all, um, just kind of take it for what it is right now. And then, you know, if you're moving in stress in that direction, you will have a tendency to manifest more the challenges of that number rather than the strengths. So to uh, look here uh, in this final point here, uh, it says when you go towards four as a one, you'll probably get a little moody and irrational in your perspective. Um, Oh, sorry. I had that. I have that totally backwards. I have to fix that slide. Um, so, uh, yeah, for moody, irrational. no, that's right. Uh, This is what I have wrong here. I should have stress uh, over here and positive integration over here. Sorry. So when you are, on the other hand, moving in a positive direction of growth, you know, you're just doing a lot of inner work and really trying to understand yourself. Then you're going to move in a direction of a seven and manifest the strengths of a seven, which are more of a spontaneous uh, demeanor, uh, you know, that's based more on just joyful expression. So that's the Enneagram in about 30 seconds. And uh, please realize, everybody, there's way more to it than that. It's a science. It represents physics. Uh, again, vortex mathematics, waveform mechanics. will explain all these forces in detail and then also help you understand how all of the dimensions of those waveforms manifest also in a dimension we call Emotion, and that's what the okay. Sufis understood and made a big deal out of. Because emotion is what makes us tick. Human beings are not rational um, beings; we are emotional beings. Otherwise, that's... we wouldn't be able to put ourselves here in the first place. And that's why transhumanism will never work. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, fantastic point. Fantastic point. Yeah. And that's, so let me
0: go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say um the science behind the Enneagram is just blowing my mind because I've been working on a lot of inner work and journaling. And, you know, this is a, like a really fun uh topic that's exploding uh on the self-help world as people taking responsibility for their growth. And I think if you can kind of pinpoint what type of personality you are in the Enneagram, then you can be more empowered to, to take the right steps towards that growth. So that's cool.
1: Yeah. And uh, back up a little bit to the seven rays. If anybody wants to explore more about the seven rays, uh, this is volume one of uh, tapestry of the gods. Here's volume two. I was aware of this information through other readings, but um, the University of the Seven Rays did a good job in putting together manuals for people, especially that were going deep into psychoanalysis. And there are a lot of great psychologists and psychiatrists out there that uh, use your training to go into this level. And Tapestry of the Gods is a good manual to help you understand constructing a seven ray analysis for yourself or for somebody else okay got it let's see what else we've got here okay so the the next level we want to go to is stress patterning so to summarize the seven ray is what we construct at the soul level to give us um the perspective for what we need to learn in any given embodiment. Then we went into the Enneagram, which is our uh, collective uh, energies that we have put into motion prior that then we bring in. And those represent another level of complexity of things that basically we need to take care of because we're the ones that put those energetics into motion And it's our responsibility to bring them into balance. Now, stress patterning, just to complicate things further, in any uh, lifetime, of course, we are a product also of our social programming. And let's just take, uh, I should read what I have here. So conflict energy, what is that? And the first line here, stress pattern equals the resistance to life's events from an inherent inclinations. So let's just say that uh, maybe our inclination from the Enneagram um, creates a reaction to life events. We're going to see things through the lens of that character fixation. So rather than just um, experiencing events in a very neutral, bipartisan way, We're looking at it through the lens of our character fixation, and that creates a reaction or a resistance to these events that then compound our whole emotional, the intensity of those emotional experiences in the first place. So a stress pattern, as we said, personal filter based on our inclinations that suppresses unencumbered experience. So rather than just having an experience for what it is in an unencumbered way, just unconditionally accepting it and dealing with it, we react and therefore have a very hard time um, getting what we need out of it because we're projecting through our own programming. Now, which brings us to the next one, early programming external belief systems compound this conflict. So uh, that creates conflict energy, which creates real emotional back pressure created by the stress pattern. So um, early programming is based on other people's belief systems. Uh, As parents, we all mean well. As teachers, we mean well. But in fact, we are programming our children, and especially toddlers and infants, into a reality that's based on our belief system, which is typically 100% inverted and backwards. And now that, as a as a, a soul uh, newly reembodied, you have to forever. Balance that and um, deal with the conflict that that creates. That, as a new, uh, in a new embodiment where you come in less encumbered, now you have that pressure that's constantly trying to make you conform into a belief system that isn't even real in the first place. And of course, a lot of us as adults are taking all sorts of uh, measures in order to work our way out of these things. And what we do find out is because they were programmed at such an early age, old habits really die hard. In fact, they become part of our neurology. Our actual, uh, the, the nerves, uh, the dendrites morphologically change their size, shape, and function to accommodate that. And we're going to see in the next slide uh, the problems that that creates. So conflict energy is a real back pressure. And uh, we made a bold statement earlier that collective emotions create the weather. Well, just like uh, we'll see again in a moment how this back pressure accumulation of energy will create traumas that blow up in our face during life collectively. Those are in the atmosphere and create what we call storms, tornadoes, and so forth. And even, uh, you know, the people that start constructing that with geoengineering. And so, weather is another holographic expression of humanity's um, emotional state. So, traumas are actually, for instance, you have a breakup in a relationship, you have a financial calamity. Uh, it's traumatic, and it, we would if we didn't know any better, we'd say, "Oh, that's what's you know making me feel the way I do." but those traumas are, a, uh, are just a manifestation of the back pressure of these conflicts we're alluding to, and they create those outer events that then we you know, accused of making us feel a certain way, but it's the other way around. So the emotional back pressure is just a byproduct of the stress pattern, which creates those traumatic events in our life. And traumas occur at regular intervals. And traumas create uh, toxic radiation and affect energies and organs and deplete, you know, our energy reserves and our organs. Now uh, we'll go a little deeper uh, in the next slide. But Mike, any uh, comments so far? I mean, uh, where do you even start with this
0: one? This is a, I mean, there's entire YouTube channels and books and stuff dedicated to all this stuff. This is massive. I mean, as a, you know, as a parent and maybe we we'll get into this towards the end with uh, res, you know with different solutions but you know how do we go about par- parenting in a responsible way where we're not constantly putting our programming into our little children's souls as they're developing you know it's like it's a it's a hefty responsibility in and, and then balancing that with just everyday life um and then our own conflicts and traumas and and all that so it's you know it's a hefty topic.
1: So one of the things um, I used to do in clinic is uh, with one of the lab assays, I would create a stress patterning chart. And in that chart, and it would, you know, reduce to mathematics, it would create um, the number of traumas. It would, it would pinpoint the number of traumas that a person had experienced in their life. Now, we have our little daily dramas, but we're talking about those things that you remember, you know, that are significant. And um, we would also be able to uh, pinpoint a very approximate age in a person's life when those were experienced. So, for instance, just to say I did that on you, Mike, we have, uh, say, eight traumas, and we would have it into certain periods of your life and when I talk to individuals, I'd say, okay, when you were such and such an age as a child, uh, what was going on there? And invariably, when we're discussing this with people, they say, oh, that's when, you know, my mom and dad got divorced or, or something. So what we're talking about is real physics, the physics behind the energy that you can extrapolate from chemistry And decode mathematically. And why would you want to go back and have a person appreciate that maybe something happened when they were seven years old? Well, when you look at the trauma sequence as a whole, then you can actually have that person appreciate exactly what we're talking about that this is very predictable because of these inclinations, these programmings, because these resistance to life events that create the back pressure based on the baggage we bring into a lifetime. You can, people say, wow, you know, it, this happened at that point. And the second trauma sequence, yeah, I had something happen there. And so now you're able to understand the past and that allows you to release the present and not carry it forward in the future. And, you know, you really see light bulbs come on in people, especially when they're amazed that you were even able to get within a matter of months of something happening when they were back in childhood. And so this is real stuff. It's not uh, psychic or anything. This is real hardcore science, and this is what we call stress patterning. I'm going to get back to this and see if I can remember what I put on the PowerPoint here.
0: We were just finishing the trauma. Um, but what's cool about this too, is as you were saying earlier, we like to connect like a, a personal shame or personal story to these emotions uh, from the stress patterning and from the trauma. And what this does is this just shows that one, this is just part of reality. This is just the physics of reality. and, and, we all go through it that's why we're here um that's the nature of the the reality we're involved with so you know figuring out ways to then understand that step back a little bit see it from above and understand the methodology we can take to to swing those swing those energetics uh like on that on those enneagram models so that we can um kind of move on um you know, that's a, a powerful modality versus just attaching our own kind of, um, you know, personal kind of story to these that it's like our fault kind of deal, you know.
1: Yeah. And everything we're describing is uh, not new information. At this present time, we're able to understand things from what we think of as a contemporary perspective Because we do have certain understandings, especially that the Western world has brought forth, so that we can bring these concepts out of the uh, mysticism and um, vagueness of foreign cultures and make it work for us now and help us actually uh, apply it in very practical ways. So let's finish with this and we'll get into the solutions and hopefully we'll have some time left over to chat. As usual things take way too long. Um, So organ trauma sequence, that's what I was describing. And uh, besides just pinpointing uh, certain episodes in people's lives, uh, we're able to understand how organs at those times were affected and therefore um, contribute to maybe health problems that people are experiencing. And the original research on this organ trauma sequence was done with real studies uh, that showed how different organs of the body succumb to nuclear radiation. And certain organs are able to withstand more of that kind of stress than others. Uh, The thymus gland is the weakest, and the thymus, of course, is our. Uh, you know, more the center of our immunity and the lymphatics uh, are the strongest. So depending on the numbers we would come up with, we could actually see what organs were affected, uh, you know, most at different points and then how, again, they're contributing to people's present problems. Um, And it would also affect how each organ, uh, you know, because it has an associated emotion and function, it would explain a lot about a situation that a person was experiencing in uh, Oriental medicine. You know, if you just look at the five elements and that theoretical basis, which goes much deeper, that's just more of a superficial example. Uh, You know, each organ is, uh, like for instance, the liver is recognized as associated with anger. Well, that organ its real job is to um, eliminate or discharge the back pressure of that energy that we call anger. You know, those, uh, the, uh, the nine, the one, and the eight points in the Enneagram, you know, when you're up in that region, that's more your anger tendencies. Well, the, the liver, uh, you know, is not just supposed to discharge or eliminate physical toxins. It's supposed to get rid of that energetic that we associate with anger and bring anger into it's the pure form of that energy represented by the liver which is uh, a real strong motivating and powerful force that you could move mountains with uh, you know if it isn't stagnating into its lower counterpart part that we call anger so organ stress equals unstable function and impeded energy flow and again that's what we call emotion the less resilient organs uh when a less resilient organ like the thymus is involved or the ones you know there's actually 24 organs that we isolate in this whole system of analysis so the the lower number uh uh organs if they're affected your emotional uh reactions are going to be more intense and more acute so you might have an emotional trauma that's a real intense blow-up and but uh, you know maybe uh, less duration and then when the stronger organs are involved like the lymphatics uh, then you're you know maybe gonna have more of a long drawn-out long-term emotional stress and illness for that matter if we want to think of that in the physical body so Here's the last part of this, and we'll move on to the next part. Mind's desire versus body addiction. Now, what happens when all of this is going on, remember we talked about nerves change size, shape, and function, uh, and also uh, we get entrained in certain types of chemical release. For instance, uh, if you're really addicted to nicotine or caffeine, Uh, what we're doing is craving those chemicals because they provoke a strong release of norepinephrine. When we go into drama, we get the same kind of fix. So even though it feels crappy, we're getting a nice uh, drama norepinephrine fix. And just like reaching for the next uh, cigarette, even though we know it might be killing us, we light up anyway. That's the same thing with these emotions. And why certain people have strong tendencies to be emotional kings and queens or drama queens and kings, I should say mm-hmm. um, so uh now uh, that's going to create a conflict right there because our mind's desire, of course, is for happiness and harmony, and meanwhile, we have this body addiction It's like, man, these cigarettes are killing me, but I 'm lighting up anyway, and that's going to create uh, you know a lot of a lot of dissonance and, and more conflict compounding everything we've already talked about. So when we're doing the stress patterning, we have ways to help people reconcile mind's desire versus body addiction. And uh, I want to move through this quickly here. Uh, so body's addiction, electrical vectors that align with people and circumstances to elicit similar neurochemical events. So we actually crave the things that we don't want. And then mind's desires in opposition to addiction and then amplification of resistance and conflict as a result. And in trauma sequence processing, it's important to work from the most recent backward to the earliest. And that's one of the sequential things you need to pay attention to when you're a practitioner. And for folks that are doing this at home, don't worry. You don't have to get all complicated or worry about it. Um, there are ways that you can safely work through your issues and never have to see anybody else in the process. So, um, biological solutions is the next slide. This gets into the new German medicine understanding, which is the only science-based taxonomy of disease in existence, which should ruffle a few feathers by making that kind of statement. (laughs) But uh, instinctual programs. So uh, embryologically, we are programmed with every animal instinct from the entirety of the animal kingdom, from reptilian to mammalian. And so when we are um, encountering life events, in addition to the other um, issues that we've already discussed, We also have these animal instincts that are triggered. But the good news is humans are unique in all the mammalian world because our biology works on our behalf to help us discharge these back pressures that keep us in these dramas uh, and programmings that make our bodies sick and keep us on an, an endless wheel of reincarnation. So what we have is a mechanism that when we have um, uh, trauma, we'll say, uh, that would, you know, maybe in the animal instinctual world, which would have to do with basic survival issues, um, these survival triggers uh, are uh, have their human social analogs or counterparts to what humans, uh, to what animals experience. So maybe we're as uh, living as what we think of as in a more refined culture than the animal world. Uh, you know, you lose your job, you lose a mate, you, you, you know, any number of things that happen to us in life, then uh, those will trigger these survival mechanisms built into our biology. And at the level of the psyche uh, the way we differ for animals is that will trigger a very specific part of the brain that will then, uh, and it has to be a sudden intense trigger, as you see right here, that will create a conflict back pressure. And then the brain is in a specific brain area stimulated, which can be demonstrated on a CAT scan. And then that brain body correspondence happens where that, the specific part of the brain that's triggered uh, you know, has a, obviously a corresponding body area. And then that is going to provoke tissue changes in that part of the body that will holographically outpicture. Um, in other words, you'll get a tissue response to the conflict. And if this isn't um, diagnosed as a disease or treated as a disease, if you do the bioterrain medicine to make sure that the biology is supported and has everything it needs in order to run this response without getting into danger zones and don't impede it in any way. And more importantly than anything, help the psyche understand that, no, this is not a disease. This is for your benefit. Like even to the point of growing something in your body, then that biological expression will release the back pressure in the psyche and help us, again, transit out of lower emotional uh, animal instinctual reaction into more of a, reaction, uh, a rational, um, you know, sentient sort of state. And uh, that means that we can have emotional issues or traumas happening in our life and have, you know, if our bodies were more healthy and less tampered with medically, these things would come and go uh, and, and not even be diagnosed. We wouldn't even know about it. And at the level of biology, we would be releasing these back pressures through tissue uh, uh, holographic responses and, and, and um, you know, be able to progress emotionally emotionally even though most of this stuff is subconscious we wouldn't even know about it so it's an amazing thing when you understand that our very bodies are designed to help us get off of the wheel and it doesn't always even have to be a conscious process it's just happening it only you know becomes a problem and we take away that normal mechanism when we tamper with ourselves or through ignorance think that, you know, we have to fight disease and microbes and everything else we've been talking about lately. So uh, biological plateaus are when these uh, processes are tampered with. We have tissue changes, they're diagnosed. What happens when you go to the doctor and, and a priest, you know, that's wearing a white robe that we have a strong belief system that they know more than we do. And they say, well, you better go get your affairs in order that's going to create a diagnosis conflict it's going to compound the back pressure of the original conflict that necessitated the tissue change in the first place and now you've got a way worse situation and then of course you throw in pharmaceuticals and other sorts of modalities that sabotage on a biological level the you know the body's ability to go full circle and impeach what it's trying to do then you know then you have uh real predicaments and then uh you can also in life have repeated triggers we could talk a lot about this which creates what we call a hanging conflict you know you might have an allergy uh symptom and it happens every spring but what we aren't appreciating is well you know it's not because you are having a histamine reaction to that particular pollen now that is happening on the biological or the chemical level but that's not what's creating the whole histamine release in the first place. What is happening is that at one point in your life, uh, you were had one of these uh, traumas affecting your psyche. You may not even remember it or be aware of it. And it might be at a, a certain time of year when certain pollens were prevalent. Uh, it might be when you were uh, you know, eating a certain food And now from that point on, every time you are exposed to that same so-called allergen, it's going to create the same physical response. If you dive more into new German medicine, you're going to understand that even allergies are a product of a psychological trigger and all the biology, just like microbes that we find at the scene of the crime, uh, then are circumstantially blamed for our... Physical symptoms. Now uh, we'll finish up here, and I'll I'll let you jump in, Mike. Uh, another thing that's happening on the planet now, with all the contaminants we're exposed to, we have uh, it it uh, depletes our resources. Uh, you know, just the, the basic nutritional reservoirs, and 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 also depletes uh, you know our energetic reservoirs. It it uh, impedes the function of organs. It weakens our organs, and so when these uh, conflicts happen and biology, uh, creates one of these, uh, program responses for our own benefit. Now the body is incapable of running the whole program, uh, full circle. And we get another one of these, you know, just like a hanging conflict. Uh, you know, it makes it, uh, you know, we get on one of these biological plateaus that can actually be dangerous. So, in uh, bioterrain medicine, we assess the body and find out where it needs to support and we lost
0: him there for a second huh check check one two bear lando so um appears we might have lost him there for a second um okay interesting stuff you guys interesting stuff um hopefully bear comes back on here um but yeah this is um everything we talked to all rolled into one slide so uh i hope Bear can jump back in you know he's on a satellite he's off grid so we will see uh <laughs> what's going on there but uh it looks like we might have lost him so uh he'll he'll jump back in in a second uh, so guys anyways uh you know For me, this is so important because what we're seeing right now with like we talked about the contagion idea and everybody harping on microbes causing disease, we can see right here and there, it's much more complex. Reality is much more complex and it all comes down to our own emotional state and as both individuality and also as a collective. And and it looks like we've got Bear joining us back again. Okay. Okay. Yeah, we lost you there for a second. That's okay. I was just uh, stepping in there to uh, talk. So, um, so can I slide back up? Uh, did you lose your internet?
1: Yeah, I think so. It's it's back on now. Yeah, you're good. Okay, so um, where'd where you lose me?
0: Oh, we uh, just uh, we were on the third point on the biological. We're talking about the biological plateau and related to environmental okay, aspects and so we... biotarian medicine
1: we probably beat that one up enough. Um, So we have one more slide and uh, but let's go ahead and um, any comments so far.
0: No, I mean, there's good chatter and uh,
1: people talking about
0: all sorts of fun stuff in the uh, in the chat here on D live. Just great comments. People are saying this has been an amazing presentation. So let's just keep it going. I don't want to get too off track because I know I think we've got what, one more slide and then we can kind of open it up to the peanut gallery and, and have a discussion here. Also, I did just notice my chickens somehow got out into the front yard. I just looked out my office window here and I see six chickens right there. I'm like, what are you guys doing out here? So I must right. have left a gate cracked open. <laughs> so um, I'll have to go out. It's okay. Uh, they're fine. It's all The whole property's fenced okay. in, but I just don't want them getting into my into certain annuals and start destroying my starts. But uh, those little buggers. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm looking at my new chicken coop outside my window here too. It's, uh, we're thinking of doubling our chickens this year with the uh, looming food shortage. Anyway, um, let's do one last thing. We'll finish up this real quick. This is about solutions. Uh, we already talked about the biggest solution, which is our biology that's recognized in new German medicine. So let's do the last screen share. Clinical solutions. The number one solution is awareness because you can do anything imaginable and unless you have an awareness Uh, you're not going to get anywhere. Mike just uh, ran out of the room there after his chickens. Okay. So awareness is the key. And um, in clinical medicine, that's what all measures are pointed to is to bring people into an understanding that the very forces that are creating their problems are things that they're perpetuating themselves, not in a blame way, But when you understand that, now you become empowered and also are open to using tools that can change your situation forever. Uh, Now, one of the things I favor in helping people with the awareness is uh, classical logic. And uh, this could be a whole discussion in and of itself. But there used to be a way, and in fact, I was taught this in school. I probably got the tail end of it. Uh, they don't teach us anymore. Uh, but it begins with uh, mindful observation based on the sacred sciences and then going internally and being still with the process and allowing uh, the answers to come, you, come to you within that stillness. So in classical logic, we have uh, in, it used to be called the trivium and the quadrivium, but uh, there's a sequential way to finding out the truth. And as usual in our contemporary sciences, we do the opposite, it's been inverted. What we do in science is we attempt to come up with a theory which is explaining why and then we do our observation and our experimentation to prove out our theory or the why. Well that's absolutely backwards according to classical logic. What an empiricist, a scientist is supposed to do is to just observe and not have any skin in the game. So you ask yourself questions, the classical questions are who, what, where and you just gather information in classical logic, we call this grammar. So you're just getting all of the the data that you need. And once you spent substantial time doing that, then you can start to use your reason why what you have observed is what it is. And then now you have a theory Or an assessment based on fact rather than the other way around and then you take that information inside and have a dialogue with yourself or if it's not in the world of psychoanalysis and it has to do with uh, other levels of uh, uh, science or our physical universe we can have dialogues with other people in the same endeavor and put our minds together and see if we can come up with some solutions based on what we observe. And in the case, especially of uh, psychoanalysis, what we want to do is go inside into that stillness, which is the place where we produce the thoughts in our reality in the first place, get out of the polarities, the dramas, and just let everything sink in and trust that you'll get your answers. Now that whole three process process, uh, of the Trivium should be based on a prior study of the sacred sciences and the sacred sciences originally were arith- uh, arithmetics, geometry, uh, music, and astronomy. So deciphered into Rossellian physics, the arithmetic tells you the code uh, that, you know, the original natural patterns uh, you know, that arithmetic reveals you know, mathematics, as we like to call it, the way it's used these days, they think is the creative force somehow uh, that makes things happen. But no, uh, mathematics is to be used as a way to map out, to reveal that, yeah, there are predictable uh, methods or patterns that nature uses, including, uh, you know, the way we experience our emotional life. And then geometry, uh, you know, if you look at... um, cymatics uh, where you're taking uh, sand on a plate and then subjecting it to a sound frequency and then you see all these perfect geometric forms uh, uh, you know form on the plate in in uh, relation to the sound waves you realize geometry or form is put into motion by waveforms and one dimension of a waveform is the sonics and then music, uh, you know, in the traditional quadrivium system in physics, now we understand well, they're just talking about frequency, which is the length and the patterning of the waveforms that give all the distinctions uh, to our thoughts, our feelings, and physical manifestations. And then astronomy uh, is really, we're looking at the universal pattern. So if you notice, uh things on any level whether you're looking at the stars or looking under a microscope you see the same patterns happening over and over again so when you have those understandings that people like walter russell put out for us to very easily comprehend and then you go into the trivia method and in this case we're talking about applying this to psychoanalysis you're going to come up with some really good answers and awareness as far as how you got in your present situation. So awareness is key. And there's even a methodical way to go about building your awareness. And that's what I was trying to do through the trivium and quadrivium. Okay, so far, Mike?
0: Yes, it would be great to see schools go back to this instead of uh, gender studies. Go ahead
1: yeah and answer recognition, so basically you get a high s a t score because you went to some clown that uh, teaches you how to take a test uh and and you you know you you figure out how to get a right answer on an objective test and then you get a dog bone for the right answer uh boy we we've, we've really come a long way haven't we So uh, modalities besides awareness, you know, there are technologies. Uh, The best way is mind-directed transmutation. Remember, these are tonal fields and just like sitting down at a piano keyboard, you can, you know, work that keyboard and go up and down all the ranges and, you know, transmute one note into another and create any kind of harmony that you care to once you get the hang of it. Now, in the martial arts, we learn... Uh, first off, how to just sit and um, get in touch with our mind to different energy centers, starting with the midline energy centers, going up and down our spine, and then going into extended uh, you know, energy centers from there. But just if you understand the basic midline ones, uh, which are also the endocrine regulation centers. Some people call them the chakras. Just, just say, you know, you have a fight with your girlfriend, and you're angry, or you're depressed, or whatever. Well, you can sit down, and if you're schooled in this kind of um, uh, technology. You just go into stillness you use your mind you know you locate your energy and you're probably gonna find it right in your solar plexus somewhere and then you just use your mind to direct the energy in the heart now once you're at the heart you just keep your mind there that's what meditation is it's an active process meditation is not a passive process like we've been taught in a lot of meditative schools you give your mind a task so in this case you keep your mind on the heart center And within a matter of moments, the more experience you get, that depression, that anger, whatever you're feeling is going to be transmuted into the higher center center within the heart. And you're going to forget you ever had a problem in the first place. You have actively taken an energy. You've raised it to a uh, higher energetic level, we'll say, and you have transmuted the anger, the depression. Uh, by moving it into the next octave into more of a heart-centered harmony. Uh, You can also be even fancier and understand how every tonal field that's represented in uh, those same centers we're talking about has associated colors. So um, when you understand what colors do, uh you know the counterpart part of these tonal fields then you can use those to transmute energy the highest uh color you know you can use is violet and just like ultraviolet we know um you know is a very good disinfectant in in the physical world well we you can use your mind to use violet that's not the only color but that's the ultimate way to take um we'll, we'll say uh Uh, you know, kind of a toxic emotion and transmute it uh, to purify it into something that's not going to be affecting your body or your well-being adversely. So, you can use your body itself to move these energies to places where you know you'll achieve that transmutation. You can couple that with color visualizations uh, and each of the colors will have a certain effect and depending on what you're trying to do. Uh, you can have uh, just very good empowering effects and realize that well, um, you know, you don't have to stay in a lower, uh, um, you know, toxic state and affect your health and your finances and your relationships uh, for more than a moment. And all it takes is practice. But the thing that impedes us wanting to just naturally do this, of course. Is when you get back to that prior side is we have an addiction for drama because just like reaching for the cigarette we get a good norepinephrine fix and we want to stay in the drama but someday we have to grow up straighten out our spine and just say no I'm tired of living in that level of existence and also, it's my responsibility to contribute on a planetary level to uh, harmony, rather than just being one of the barnacles on the on the face of the earth and do something about this. So it's really our personal responsibility to learn these things and just get out of our own way. Uh, in clinic, we have other ways of addressing these things, and we do this by addressing the total body needs when we open up files where we. Um, you know, work on people's bodies with uh, everything from, you know, clinical kinesiology, acupuncture, osteopathy, all the, the, you know, the physical mediums, Um, you are able to sequentially go through step by step and uh, help the body, you know, like support organs uh, you know, and things that are impeding the natural flow of uh, communication and energy, uh, and and uh, the organ systems' natural ability to, um, you know, discharge the back pressures that we experience emotionally. So that goes a long ways. If you you know know somebody in your neighborhood that can do that sort of thing. And uh, one of the ways I really favor is with sonics, which is uh, sound frequencies. Uh, For instance, when I do acupuncture, I like to use um, tuning forks and other things uh, instead of needles, because with those sound frequencies, I've I've just found that you can achieve uh, quicker or more dramatic effects. And then also use those systems such as acupuncture, not as a single tool, but as a composite with other tools to uh, appreciate Uh, the holographic um, outpicturing on every level of a person's being and sequentially go to those, uh, you know, to the next in line that needs on behalf of that person to, um, you know, get to where they're trying to go. Now, the last thing I'll say is uh, floral essences are fantastic. And uh, uh, floral essences are not just these little cute things you see in the health food store. Um, They are informational fields. Uh, Edward Bach, who is a brilliant uh, microbiologist, bacteriologist, um, is the one that first uh, introduced floral essences to the world. Of course, it's uh, it's um, a compartment of homeopathy where we're. Uh, he understood that the floral kingdom uh, had those archetypes or counterparts to what we would think of as uh, human emotions. And we're also like the antidotes to toxic emotions. And um, so flower tinctures, when you know how to use them and how to get to the right thing at the right time, they can be absolutely dramatic in their effects, uh, much more than people can appreciate. And, uh, you know, I studied with some people that were the uh, direct students of Edward Bach. And what I learned is uh, when you use them topically, uh, they're much more effective, and uh, so that's why uh, you know we we're talking earlier uh, about the enneagram and the topical remedies that I created to address all those uh, uh, character fixations. Uh, you know, we complex them with the mesh uh, uh, essential oils and other homeopathic preparations that get through the portals of the body more efficiently. And also, there's uh, German practitioners who have. Uh, figured out body mapping. In other words, neurological zones on the body that can be more effectively used uh, for certain uh, floral preparations to address certain emotional issues. And also when you get into the use of floral essences, sorry, I know I'm talking fast here, but I just want to finish. Uh, you also, uh, understand emotional tracks. You, uh, can have these acquired issues that we're talking about with conflicts. It can be, you know, uh, all a product of all the other things from Enneagram, you know, and it's never one thing. It's always a combination of all these things that are in effect, but you recognize emotional tracks. You can have a core issue. You have another issue. That's a compensation for that core issue. And then the compensation has a decompensation. So, you can put together two, three, you know, or more uh, flower essences at a time to dress all of those mechanisms. And uh, Mike, I'm all done. So if we have any more time, I'd like to stop talking and hear from somebody else.
0: (laughs) Oh my goodness gracious. That was a lot of info smacked into another slide there. Um, I would just add that on the, uh, the transmutation kind of physicality aspect, breath work for me, Helps a lot when I get into a a more frenetic, angry state, going back to breath, which we've done a whole podcast on. Uh, Visualization, uh, too. Um, The color aspect's really interesting. I have a um, couple different color, LED color machines, uh, one in my kid's room that we use. uh, And I, I actually do a lot of violet color at night when they're going to bed. So that's really interesting, but overall, yeah, um, Reiki as well, Reik, Reiki, Reiki, whatever you call it, um, is a cool modality for this too, right? Um, so uh, Wilhelm yeah. Reich, exactly. Uh, which I still want to do an entire AlphaCast on Wilhelm Reich. Let's let's not forget that. Uh, but you know, yeah. I
1: know some uh, some good Reiki. Practitioners, uh, so I'm gonna reach out, or, or if you know some, you just get a Reiki practitioner and they can uh, more give a pure perspective uh, from their expertise.
0: Oh, that would be very cool. Um, there, I do know the Reiki Ranch in Oregon here who have ordered stuff from in the past. Uh, so, anyways, you might have a better reach for that. So, yeah, uh, gosh, I mean, just solutions is what we're always talking about in the end here, and. I think uh, all of us, of course, we have trauma and we have these emotional constructs that we're dealing with on the daily. And to be able to rationalize this more in terms of science and understand, like we, I was saying earlier, that we all deal with this stuff. It's all part of this experience and that to have the empowerment to take these on ourselves and um, for the betterment of, of humanity is so important right now, especially with... Um, all the attacks going on uh, to our emotional state as the fear is constantly driven into us. And fear, we, I mean, fear is in of itself an emotion, correct?
1: Oh, absolutely. And I just wanna reiterate that we've been talking a lot about the germ theory of disease and contagion and everything related to current events. What we talked about today is so much more fundamental and so much more important than the germ theory of disease. If, if we could really wrap our minds around everything we discussed and approach the world's ills from these technologies, from this understanding, we wouldn't have to talk about any of those other things in the first place. Yep.
0: Yeah, it's that simple um, and a powerful way to kind of start closing down the chat today we're already over two uh, we're at two hours right now and i know we like to keep it around that so man i i have so much to digest from this show today uh we will make sure to get those slides up on our website speaking of our website will be a new website will be launching shortly we've been really working hard on it so um we'll have a whole section uh featuring that there Uh, If we can get that up, um, I think that's really important for people to see these slides, especially if you're listening to the podcast on iTunes or something. Um, But uh, yeah, any other kind of parting words? I mean, I feel like I could talk another 16 hours on this, but I think it it almost is a better service just to kind of break these up into future podcasts.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty much talked out.
0: (laughs) Um, I would love to go into Bach too on another podcast and get into the fl- floral essences and things like that. I mean, there are people that have questions in here that could lead to a ton of stuff in terms of oils versus tinctures versus liquids, you know, and different, um, ways to capture those essences. Um, as we, you've talked about spagyrics and things like that. Uh, so it would be great, uh, creams too, right? Uh, is a great way to go about yeah. it. So,
1: um, maybe a couple things uh, we can just share. This is my favorite, you know, for anybody to get if they want to delve more into Bach flowers. And this for those listening, uh, Julian,
0: is, yeah, go ahead and explain that for those listening to the podcast.
1: Uh, Julian Bernard was uh, an actual student of Edward Bach. So, I think it's a real good place for people to start with this book. It's called Bach Flower Remedies.
0: Um, and that's another thing we'll be doing is getting uh, more of our resources uh, set up so people can find all of these different resources in one place. I know even Russ has been working on that and we're working on that. So that'll be uh, on the news site eventually as well as in our Telegram.
1: Yeah. Another good book is this one. And that gets more into uh, how emotional remedies can be complexed and how we can combine flower tinctures. New Bach Flower Therapies and who's that by? <clears throat> it's a cool
0: Dietmar book. Kramer. Say, I'm sorry. Say again. A Dietmar
1: Kramer. Okay. Cool. We'll Maybe get these. Put in the show. Uh,
0: yeah, we'll put this all in the show notes. I want to uh, come and borrow one of those books or get it myself. Uh, it's funny. We I have California poppies exploding all over our property, and I really wanted to look into capturing those essences. Uh, and uh, using that
1: yeah and uh, the last one I'll share is uh, new Bach flower body maps this is uh, another practitioner who um, understood the neurological zones and how uh, uh, topical tinctures can be used uh, in association with neurology and be more effective very cool
0: Wow. Well, let's do a podcast on that. And um, I would love to dive deep into that and read up on that. Uh, that would be really fun. So, uh, hey, man, uh, I think we've exhausted my brain so far for today. Uh, what a great chat. And I hope people can get a lot out of this. It, we're really just scratching the surface on this topic, guys. So, um, what an amazing presentation today. We really appreciate that, uh, Bear. Uh, really fun. Um, we've got some great uh, guests coming up for the rest of the month. We've got Josh Del Sol next week. Uh, it'll be on a different time zone. It'll be actually two o'clock Stant PST uh, on DLive next Thursday. Just keep that in mind. And we'll be talking about the 5G Summit. Uh, we'll be talking about um, sovereignty and um, non-consent strategies for everything that's going on. So. Uh, This will relay probably into quantum language and all sorts of fun topics there. So that'll be a really fun chat. And then the week after, we have Dr. Edith Ubuntu-Chan coming on to talk about super wellness. And I just want to give a a, a massive thanks to uh, Dr. Edith. Uh, We have your book that you're nice enough to sign and send to us. And I'm reading right now. It's got a forward uh, by Wim Hof. And it's just... An amazing read really easy and fun and um, actually opening up my eyes to a lot of really cool practical things that like we talked about today in terms of uh, wellness and self-empowerment so really excited about that that's how we'll end up end out the month and then we've got june's looking like it could be a power-packed guest month i won't even drop any names right now i did in the chat so those in the d live chat are lucky enough to see those names But uh, we still got to get them scheduled and stuff. But they're all said they want to come on the show. And um, some powerhouse names coming on here, brother. (laughs) So, really exciting. Um, So, everyone, thanks for uh, listening today or watching. If you are on YouTube, uh, this will be actually premiering at 5 p.m. today uh, on YouTube. And you uh, please support us with the like, hit the like button, subscribe if you aren't subscribed yet, Deed Live, YouTube. Um, You can join us on Patreon, join the co-op, patreon.com forward slash Alphavedic, and of course, join us on Telegram, uh, t.me forward slash Alphavedic. We have an amazing community in there just talking all day long and all this stuff. Uh, We appreciate you guys. Uh, Alphavedic.com is where you can find out all the information. You can support us by buying products or joining the co-op. That's the best way to support us and help fund this operation. Um, You can also come into DLive and uh, drop tips in DLive, Um, download the Brave browser. You can get 9010 products through our new affiliate link. There's lots of ways to support us and support your health in the same time. So thanks so much, guys. Uh, Bear, once again, really appreciate the hard work you put into that presentation. Uh, I think a lot of people are going to get amazing results from it. And um, yeah, everyone get outside today if you can and get your hands dirty, grow some food, get in your garden. It's really one of the best ways to uh, connect to nature and also your emotional well-being. So thanks uh, thanks again, guys, and um, have an amazing day. Cheers.